Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined in Milwaukee with Katie Merriman of Bard and Bourbon. Hi everybody. Thanks for having me. Of, of course. course. You've been very patient with us. Um, <laughs> those following the show know that we've had like an interesting audio tech world the last week. And so we're trying out a new uh, portable mixer experience for the first time, and I we forgot a memory card. But up up <laughs> up until that point, everything was working really well, and so now we've got. But then, Katie luckily had the exact cord that we needed that I didn't have. That is just like an right. old cord from just super randomly. Right, right. Yeah, it looked like <laughs> a. That reminded me of like a um the thing you like check the like voltage on something. That's on. exactly what it is. Yeah. Digital multimeters. So we're going, you know. I don't know if that's high tech or low tech in in the world of tech, but yeah, it's. I think it's like old high tech. Mm-hmm. You know, like it things that just like haven't been improved on in like a couple decades, right. but it's still like some exactly what you needed to do. It's sort of just the basic basic equipment for all the techie stuff. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. So how's your day going? Going pretty good. Good. How about yours? How's the trip up? The trip up was fine. I um. We left after, I'm a manager at a cafe, Mm -hmm. and so we left after a closing shift. So I got out around 9.45, we hopped in the car, we stopped at, we stopped at Taco Bell on the way up at Lake Forest Oasis. Because it's late at night and that's what you do. Right. (laughs) Um, And I got the spicy potato taco. Mm, Never had that. It was so good. I asked for no cheese and they gave me cheese, but I took the cheese off. But anyway, I kind of miss the volcano nachos. Like I was a big fan of that spicy. I don't think mm. I've ever. I don't think I ever had the volcano. That was nachos. oh I don't know five six years ago something like that. Now like it's been forever, <laughs> but I still miss them. <laughs> it's like the, uh, it's like how on Rick and Morty. Do you watch that show? No, it's on my list. It's there. There's this whole like overture to Szechuan sauce from McDonald's. Oh yeah, I've seen that. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's that same brand of nostalgia of just like. In no world is it good for you, but right. it's just like, it like feeds your soul. Oh yeah, you can taste the chemicals. It doesn't actually taste like food. <laughs> yeah. But God, it tastes good. You're like, ah, oh, this tastes. It doesn't, it's just, it just, there's taste, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, my mom took, we were staying at my mom's house and she took out her air conditioners last night. So like. Because she went up timing. to New York, right? Yeah, she's visiting my brother in New York. So it'll be great when she gets back, but in the meantime... Oh, yeah. No, right. she's she's living her best life right now. <laughs> yeah. We did not last night. <laughs> but no. it's okay. We survived, and we're here. Mm-hmm. Just and a few more days till we're on the, the downswing of the temperature again. I think tomorrow. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah. So fingers crossed. Oh, my God. I know, because like, to come north and then feel warmer is not... Right? I think we're warmer than California and possibly Arizona right now. I think mm. I've seen stats like that. It's That's not right. No. no. That's not right. No. I live here because I like snow. Right? Right. That's why I'm here. Yeah, exactly. I could be in Baltimore right now. I could right. be on the East Coast. Yeah, I moved to Chicago from Florida. Oh. <laughs> so like... I grew up in Southern California. Florida's worse, though. Oh, uh, Florida is the, like, sweaty crotch of uh. America. Not to mention all the creatures. I mean, it almost rivals Australia for the number of wildlife yeah. that want to kill you. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, um, we decided yesterday that we were going to come up to Milwaukee. And I was like, we should probably set up an interview. And so I thought, you know, I've been wanting to talk to this company for a little while. Let's see if they're available by chance. And you were! And I'm so happy that this worked out because um, Barden Bourbon is a company that I thought was really cool for a long time. Um, Would you mind talking a little bit about it? Absolutely. So uh, we're one of what's become a new thing of drunk Shakespeare companies. We're certainly not alone. There's uh, at least a handful in the United States as well as uh, Scotland, a few other places. Uh, For our take on it, we're probably the most traditional of all of the drunk Shakespeare companies in that we do a fully rehearsed, fully memorized, fully staged production. We treat it just like a normal show right up until show time when in front of the audience we hand one of the actors several shots of bourbon that they they take at the top of the show and then we continue to hand them bourbon throughout the show just to make sure they are good and drunk throughout the whole production. And it's up to everybody else in the show to make sure that... uh, the show goes on as rehearsed. So we always make sure to get to the end of the show. We always make sure it's a, a good show in addition to the bourbon, but the bourbon definitely adds an element of um, 
danger, I'd say. A little bit of the unknown, certainly, and always, of course, a little bit of a comic element. Nice. Um, we we had um, Joel Kapischke on mm-hmm. recently, and he was telling us a little bit about his experience with um, Bard and Bourbon, and he, um, he said that, you know, in addition to just, like, the quality theater that you experienced, that, like, the ad-libs that happen are, like, killer. Where, exactly. like, I think in one of the shows he was talking about an ad-lib where, oh, I don't remember which play it was, but, like, what, it may have been, I don't know, it was some play where, where like, a king died. Maybe it was Hamlet. Quite probably. And, yeah, and, um, a character, like, the drunk character walked up to, like, Hamlet and was like, Sorry about your dad. And just oh, like, this was Macbeth. Oh, it's, yeah. it's in the whole big dramatic scene where it's just being revealed that Duncan died. Oh, okay. And Duncan's son has come on, and I'm playing Macduff, so I'm over in the corner, like, comforting the sons, and I'm having to break the bad news to them. And Lady Macbeth is over in the other corner, just snickering and laughing and just cannot keep it down and just sh- uh, shouts right across the room, Sorry about your dad! <laughs> Sometimes she's talking to the audience, she's like, it's so obvious we did it! Like, everybody in the room knows who's responsible at this point. Mm-hmm. So, um, when did this history of drunk Shakespeare start? Like, is did it start abroad, or is it like a, an American brainchild? Uh, I think most of the companies are American, but to the best of my knowledge, it was from a French festival in Scotland that the very first company did it. I don't know then if New York's Drunk Shakespeare Society had seen that. My guess is yes. Uh, and then that startup, New York's, uh, the, the Drunk Shakespeare Society's been going for a while. They were actually one of my big inspirations in where I got introduced to the concept. And then different companies seem to have sprung up from there. We've all got a little bit of our, our own take on it. Uh, right here in town, we do have Boozy Bard as well, kind of a, a fellow drunk Shakespeare company, mm-hmm. but their take is very, very different. So we we definitely are friendly with each other and there's plenty of room for both of us in town. They do uh, a version where they pull the characters out of a hat at the mm-hmm. beginning of the show and hand out the parts that way so nobody knows ahead of time what they'll be playing and they're reading off the script. So it's much less stage, much less rehearsed, a lot more improv Yeah. They compare it to the first rehearsal that Shakespeare's players might have had because they'd probably take place in a bar. That's where the, the light is in Shakespeare's day. Yeah. They're all drinking anyway, why not? And so they might have just read their parts with each other in the bar for their first read through. Then fast forward to our show, it's kind of the end production, what the Elizabethan audiences might have actually seen. Oftentimes those actors were drunk, it just happens. That was kind of kind of the Elizabethan times. But it's much more polished and much more mm-hmm. finished. So in essence, it's more, it's more authentic. Uh, the, the drinking, yes. That's, I think both of us uh, tend to say, yeah, we're, we're actually living up to the tradition of Shakespeare. Yeah. Take it off a pedestal a bit, bring it back down to the common man, just like it was in that day, and absolutely. Well, and I think that really um, sums up my next, or leads to my next question really well, which is, I just think it's really interesting that, um, I mean, it's such an interesting thing where you, I feel like you have to have a, a, peop- a bunch of people that are like, like know Shakespeare well, that are educated, that are cultured, that are like interesting people and interesting folks. Um, but then also like pe- folks that like are aware of the importance of being able to like set that aside at a certain point. And I mm-hmm. feel like that is like such a Milwaukee thing. Right. And so my curiosity is um, like for you, what do you think it is about a town like Milwaukee that First off, allows an art form like this to sustain. Second off, allows multiple art forms like this to sustain. And, like, you know, and, like, it seems like people just keep coming back for more and more, you know? Mm. Yeah, we've been really lucky to see our audiences grow every single time. Cool. Uh, I mean, obviously, Milwaukee's a town that loves our our booze, so Mm -hmm. there's that. Uh, But Milwaukee also has a really great art scene, and they're willing to embrace new ideas in Mm -hmm. smaller theaters quite a bit. You see a lot more small theaters rather than the large theaters in in Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. and that seems to be a a trend for the audiences, that they're willing to give these tiny storefront theaters a chance. So I think that's really helped us a lot. And with The Drunk Shakespeare, that is a nice opportunity for us that we're able to to kind of reach out to the the average man on the street that goes... Oh, hey, I've never seen Shakespeare before, or Shakespeare, uh, you know, to them is dumb. But, hey, they're drinking. Why don't we go to that? And show them that, no, Shakespeare actually is a really fun time. Yeah. Um, And to get that kind of 
opportunity to edu- educate the average person that Shakespeare doesn't have to be this stuffy, distant experience. It can be in your face and interactive with the audience and and just a lot of, of really basic fun of people being people. Yeah. No, it's an approachable introduction to the art form. Exactly. Because, yeah, Shakespeare is is really fun and it's often mm-hmm. really body and right um, Romeo and Juliet especially we did that recently just last year and for the most part that's a comedy it's a comedy until like the very last part of the show the, sec- the last third of the show it finally turns tragic yeah and people always think it's this dark and heavy and bawling show throughout no 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 it's it's sex jokes through most of mm. the show and when people are ready to come drinking and laughing then they're more willing to go oh this is actually funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually um, my curiosity is I feel like Shakespeare is one of those things that it, there's a lot of potential for like missing jokes or like missing mm-hmm. details, especially as we get more and more into like a ADD, like things happen so quickly, society. Um, so I'm curious. I feel like when you are working in it, especially when you're working and you get alcohol involved and you get kind of like that, that air of, of not necessarily like taking every line in, <laughs> inherently very seriously. Um, uh, I'm curious, do you find that there is, is the pattern for that kind of thing? Like, are there certain things that people are more likely to not pay attention or like not get a line? Or do you think it's just a, a like a matter of, it, I don't know if this makes sense <laughs> the way I'm wording it, but I'm basically curious if um, there are that it's like with Shakespeare generally. Do you feel like the idea that it's hard to grasp if that it for a person who has no experience with mm-hmm. Shakespeare that um, the idea that Shakespeare can be hard to grasp? Do you find that that's just the nature of the art form like as a whole or do you think that there are specific moments that lead it to that does that make sense i, th- I think i get where you're going with that yeah i th- i think the comedies are especially hard for that because we're dealing with 400 year old jokes that are topical to what was happening in elizabethan england specifically at right, that time right. or using wordplay with words that we don't use or know mm-hmm. anymore so definitely there is some difficulty with that and some of how we overcome that is cutting of the script where mm-hmm. it's appropriate but we're always really 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 true to the script we even try to preserve verse when we're mm-hmm. doing our cutting um and sometimes it's just a matter of Using movements and using the blocking to help the audience understand what's happening. Yeah. Uh, with, with our last show with Twelfth Night, you've got the, the clown character, Festy. And he uses a lot of, of archaic jokes and even goes into uh, nonsensical language mm-hmm. at a certain point, which the Elizabethan audience would have recognized as nonsensical. Our modern audience just goes, I don't understand that Shakespearean line, not knowing that you're not supposed to, it's not actually words. Yeah. Um, but uh, Grace DeWolf, who played it, and the, the director, uh, director uh, Dylan Slavke, did a great job of setting it in a vaudevillian mode. So it had mm-hmm. this kind of clownish, hey, kind of mode to it that I think helped people understand that this is a bit that this clown is doing. It's yeah. not, you don't have to get every word. This is just the clown doing jazz hands. Right. It's, it's not overly important. So sometimes things like that can help clarify. I think where the booze actually helps us is that, first of all, the audience is much more willing to pay attention because they're waiting for the drunk to screw up. Right. So every time they're on, you see the audience sort of lean in just a little bit. They are rooting for that drunk actor so hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they're more attentive. But also, throughout the rehearsal process, we are always very aware, hey, this is going to be done with drunk actors. Is this clear? Will this still be clear when this person is drunk? Have we accounted mm-hmm. for that? So that helps us really kind of get to the core story that's being told to make sure that that's really clear. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's kind of where my curiosity comes from is because even just on its face at concept level of like, okay, we're going to get one of the actors drunk and then see what the audience does. It seems like it's very aware of that. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think Shakespeare has this to some extent too, but being very aware of that performer audience relationship. Right. And I, I yeah, I think that's super interesting. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't have an actual question. Oh, no, that's fair. <laughs> I do. Yeah. No, yeah. I have a question. Looking for help. Passing it yeah, off. Yeah, no. <laughs> Got it. Um, so I'm wondering, um, 
Yes. So I'm wondering how, like, you mentioned that what your directors will take concepts and will, you know, I'm wondering how, like, traditional you keep the settings of these plays. Mm-hmm. Like, is it, you know, neck ruffles and, and pantaloons or is it more dressed down? Like, I'm wondering, do you try to modernize it because one of them is drunk and, and as, like, a sense of, like, to kind of aid in the accessibility of it? Or are you, like, is it... Shakespeare in its truest form plus a drunk actor? Uh, We definitely tend toward minimalism just out of practical concerns as much as anything. It's much easier to put Hamlet in a button-down t-shirt and black jeans than it is to try to outfit him in a full doublet and ruff. Uh, So we've definitely gone that direction, but we also do look for opportunities where the, the modern dress can evoke something for the audience that they, they relate to, such as, like I say, the clown for Festy being a Charlie Chaplin type. We oh, all as cool. modern audiences recognize who Charlie Chaplin is, yeah. so we immediately know what this character is about without having to be told, oh, this is the clown. Um, we do mix a little bit of traditional, especially when it comes to weaponry we've had, uh, and yes, we do have weapon fights, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Uh, we, we've done rapier, or um, small sword, Chris Elst would, would be mad at me if I got that wrong. We've done, we've done small sword, we've done uh, broad sword. Um, this time we used, we, we've used uh, knife fights. Uh, this time we used a little bit more modern where we had a, a foam bat and a belt in one of the fights. So it can, it can be a range of things, we just do whatever seems to help clarify the story for the audience yeah. at that time. We also do a convention where we make the cast as small as possible so the largest percentage have a chance to get drunk and then keep them all on stage the whole time. So off stage is just chairs in the back. That way the audience gets to see the actors watching the drunk actor mm-hmm. and see their reactions. Because sometimes we'll know when our fellow actor is drunk where the audience doesn't. We're going, yeah. that was different than the time before. <laughs> uh, and then the audience gets to see us snickering at them and, and that sort of builds things. Plus you see the drunk person in the back reacting yeah. as well. Wait, so how does the the who knows who's drunk thing go again? Can you remind me? Because I, I think I missed. So do the actor other actors know which one of you is drunk? Right. We actually don't hide it at all. We do it right in front of the audience. We do a oh, of speech, okay, okay. bring them out as a whole, like, and one, down the shot, two, down gotcha. the shot. Like it's a big cheering... Right. Fun moment for everybody. Cool. Uh, so then that also helps us to keep an eye on the actor. We want to make sure everybody's safe and right. healthy at the end of it. We have not had an actor puke on stage or anything like that. Everybody's gotten through the show. Yeah. Um, so it helps us keep an eye on both when they're getting too drunk and when they're getting too sober. And we might need to work in uh, a passing of a bourbon shot in the middle of a scene, which we do do in the middle of a scene. Cool. Um, I'm wondering, so first of all, how does stage combat work with a drunk actor? That's my first question. And then I want to talk a little bit about, um, like, stage combat. But first, that question oh. popped into my head, and I would, I, I'm interested. Right. Well, first of all, we've got a fabulous fight director, Christopher Ellis, who I know yes. you've interviewed. Um, uh, we've also used Tani Thompson, who uh, has been trained a little bit by Christopher Ellis, so they're, they're very good at working together or separately for Macbeth. We actually had both of them working on it. Tawny did the... Um, the knife and sort of more fisticuffs fights, and Chris was in charge of the broadsword. Uh, so they they take a good eye at choreographing things that even a drunk actor could stumble through mm-hmm. without being in too much danger. Uh, and then whenever it's the drunk actor in any way touching any of the weapons, all of the weapons in that scene are safer versions. So this could be right. foam swords, we've got rubber knives, we've got rubber broadswords that I own now, one of the cooler items that I feel like I own. <laughs> I've been walking down the streets of Milwaukee with these rubber broadswords on my back. Um, just to make sure that everything is extra safe, that the worst anybody's going to go home with is a couple of bruises. Do they bounce, the, the rubber broadswords? No, they're very hard. They're actually military grade. Uh, the knives, especially, are what are used oh, to wow. train uh, Marines, from my understanding. They're, they're actually like a very hard rubber. Oh, wow. So you, you could give somebody a bruise, potentially, with them, but they're not going to poke an right. eye out or cut anybody. Nobody's getting scalped during one of our shows, anything no like that. No clapping in twain. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. no, we'll, we'll leave that to the, the stage uh, magic rather than actual reality. Um, and um, we actually talked with Christopher Elst about this. I just want to acknowledge the truck backing up. I don't know if that can be heard. <laughs> oh, the, the, I went, the, the, we did talk to Christopher Elst about the truck, truck backing up. <laughs> No, that outs- outside, right? He had a very right? nuanced opinion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
Milwaukee. Anyway, mm. um, you we're can, in, you we're can in like it. barely. I'm really. I'm, I'm sorry to like completely derail the, the interview by going on a tangent about <laughs> the audio equipment, but I'm actually really impressed with the sound of it. Yeah. We were saying before we started recording, we were telling you about this that we were pretty nervous about how this was going to work because like it's a used mixer with like no battery pack cover, and so I'm using like duct, duct tape. tape to like cover the battery thing. Anyway. So anyway, um, so um, we talked with Christopher Elst about the importance of, you know, getting in fight choreographers mm-hmm. and you know out Absolutely. basically like outside expertise for mm-hmm. various specialized moments in theater. Right. Um, and I'm wondering if you could speak to that. If you know if fight choreographers are the only specialists you bring in or if you've ever used like an intimacy choreographer or any or um or any like other specialized like how much in-house specialization is there or is it like more outside uh it's definitely more outside when we need it because frankly barton bourbon is basically me uh gotcha (laughs) (laughs) so it's just bringing on whoever i need for each show Mm -hmm. um Chris and Tanya are absolutely our go-to. We haven't needed an intimacy specialist so far. That the, the most we've ever done is fairly typical stage kisses. We haven't gotten too raunchy in yeah. any of our shows. Um, I don't know if there would be ones down the road that would need that, but then probably Chris would be my, my go-to person for that because I know he does that as well. But for stage... He does? Com- he does. Wow. Yeah. He's ah, jack of all trades. Right? Very much so, Kind yeah. of master of all trades. He's just amazing at all of it. Yeah. Good oh. for him. Right? Yeah, I was so lucky that he came on board for our very first show. We were so lucky that he was was willing to come on from the very beginning. So we've been been blessed to have him That's awesome. with us. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, for stage combat, always, 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 even if there's the smallest hint of it. Um, in Ro- Romeo and Juliet, there's a little scene where uh, Juliet's dad goes a little crazy, slaps, in our version, slapped her and kind of dragged the nurse across the room. We had uh, knife fights going on elsewhere, of course, in Romeo and Juliet. There's much bigger fights, but we brought on Chris for that small part as well. You can't forget that. In Midsummer, there's a small spat between the lovers. We brought on a fight choreographer. Twelfth Night, there's that tiny, tiny fight, clownish fight between... um, Oh, the names are escaping me, and I just did the show. I'm like, Brittany Curran, she played the part, uh, and, and Andrew Aguicheek is, is the, the other character, uh, Viola. Uh, they do a little bit of a, a fight. Neither one is supposed to know how to fight, so it's not this big, fancy choreography, mm-hmm. but you still have to be safe with it, especially when booze is involved. Yeah. So safety is always a top priority. Well, and, you know, I think that they're... The way I see it is that even if there's, like, the small, you know, what you're talking about, the smallest moment of Mm -hmm. combat, like, and if you're thinking, like, oh, it's such a small moment, why would I, why would I, like, put this into my budget? It's, like, if it's a small moment, it's not going to be that big of a budget item. Right. Like, just do it for the safety Mm -hmm. of your actors. I think there's this initiative in, um, in Chicago called in the theater community called Not In My House. Mm-hmm. where I've seen that. Yeah, and um, it's basically talking about, you know, the emotional safety mm-hmm. of actors and theater professionals in general. Um, but I think it probably, it must certainly extend to their physical safety as well. Right. Is there anything like that in Milwaukee? Uh, I don't know that there's anything specifically like that. I know several of us uh, were aware of that at the time, and I even kind of looked through the the proposed um, kind of updates to to how theaters are run at that time and made sure that mine was in line with yeah. all of that. Um, yeah. Fortunate our practices really were already in line with that, yeah. but it was reassuring to know that, yes, yes, this is, I'm doing everything I should be to keep my actors safe. Um, I don't know that there is some some organized level of it, but I know that people in Milwaukee generally are. Everybody I've encountered, anyway, um, is very good about making sure that the actors are safe, like say both emotionally and physically, because that's yeah. that's huge too. Asking consent is huge, especially. I'm a very physical director. I get up and into the scenes, and it's always a matter oh, of, of course, can yeah. I touch you? Can I step in here? Can you? Yeah. You don't want to just be suddenly grabbing somebody in a romantic moment when they haven't agreed to that with you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Good. Um, so, um, I'm wondering, from the beginning, did you pretty much direct all the shows, or did you, like, bring in other people to direct, or how has that evolved? Uh, this is actually the first year we're using guest directors, which is, yeah, a big step forward for us, an interesting change for me to move from 
purely director, directing all of the shows myself. Uh, we had Reva Fox uh, uh, co-directing one of the shows with me, but I was involved in the directing of all the shows. And now to step back and just become artistic director uh, for most of the shows, producer, just overseeing and letting somebody else have a little bit more creative direction and, yeah. and to actually run the, the day-to-day rehearsals. Um, so it's been a pretty good transition so far. Uh, Reva Fox, who I mentioned I have worked with before, is doing our next one. So very much looking forward to that. She's been in several of our shows, so she really, really knows what Bard and Bourbon is about. And, uh, oh, it's so nice to like promote from within. Right. And like, and, like lift someone up and be mm-hmm. like, you've seen how, like you've been in the trenches now, now lead your men. Exactly. Well, <laughs> Reva's done so much directing the past too. She and the next step, Grace DeWolf, uh, both of them have directed a lot. So I feel absolutely great handing it over to them to to see what they do with it and then it's really fun to see what different people bring out that's different than how you might approach yeah. Shakespeare and, and get some ideas and some inspiration from that how do you do um audition like do you hold auditions mm-hmm. or is it kind of like tapping people to do it the very very first one was tapping people for Hamlet it was basically I mean Hamlet just shouldn't have even gone off honestly I had no <laughs> directing experience no producing experience I was just like hey let's do this crazy thing hi five of my friends you want to be in a show with me mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and it turned out great yeah that's how the best things start. right <laughs> but from there we started doing auditions our second one we did auditions and were able to cast most of the show from that but we still needed to get some extra people so we did a little bit of shoulder tapping there uh, and from then on out we've been doing exclusively auditioned uh, I think for Henry V which is the one Grace DeWolf is uh, directing that she's got a few people already tapped for it, but we're still gonna have auditions for to my understanding the majority of the roles I'm letting her make that decision but I think she still is planning on doing auditions uh, but yeah for most of our shows we just hold normal auditions and um, the usual hey do a, a reading from a Shakespeare Mm-hmm. play or any classical play and then we do cold readings and see how they work with each other and one of the main things I've personally been able to develop is you get a really good read on who's going to be a good drunk or not that's that extra <laughs> layer that you kind of have to go through in the yeah. callback reading because you've got some people that I mean they're just assholes when they're drunk yeah and you have to get that read on who's gonna turn not great mm-hmm. once you get some booze in their system or, or for the other matter who's going to be able to support the drunk because you have to take down your ego. It's all about whoever's drunk on right. the night they are. Even if you're Macbeth and it's like a lowly spearholder number two that's drunk that night, I'm sorry, the show is about spearholder number two that night. <laughs> and so you have to be able to step back. What ha- so what do you think is the mo- the least, who's been the drunk person with the least amount of lines? Like, and what happens in that scenario? Like, Trying to think. I mean, in some ways, Tybalt was a little crazy because, oh no, Tybalt, we had doubled the friar. So we typically try to make roles pretty even, gotcha. frankly. We, we do gotcha. a lot of doubling because obviously Tybalt's gone at a certain right. point in Romeo and Juliet right. and then you still want Wait, some what? entertainment no. for the show. Uh, yes. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers, come on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we won't spoil the end for you. I'm, I'm sure Romeo and Juliet live happily ever after. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. What, does Tybalt go on vacation? Yes, he, he leaves for Bantua and has a great time. Oh, good. Uh, oh, he deserved that. Yeah. Right, he and Mercutio run off together, I think. Oh, good. You know, oh, love. Right? Oh, well. Uh, but that is part of how we deal with it because we do want it to be an entertaining show no matter who's drunk. So we want right. to always try to make sure that that's somebody in most of the scenes yeah. is drunk, which no. also gives a bit of bigger challenge for the actors. Yeah. No, I like that. I would just like the idea of someone that normally doesn't play a part in a, like a majority of scenes all of a sudden is just like in the scene. Right. <laughs> like in a like very intimate two person scene. There's just like a third guy, like random servant carrying wine right. for the background. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, how do you determine in the audition process who would be a good drunk? Is it just like a gut feeling or do you like ask them or? Well, we do ask, we, we don't want to prohibit people that don't want to drink from being in Bard and Bourbon. So we actually do have a, a section on the, the, um, form that they fill out at the beginning that it's okay if they don't want to drink, we don't have everybody drink. So we will cast other actors. Um, so if they want to be a sober actor, cool. For the ones that do want to drink, a lot, large part of it is gut feeling. And if you're on the fence at all, well, frankly, usually if you're on the fence, it's no, you're staying sober until we've at least seen you in a couple shows. Uh, and we kind of yeah. work people in that way, see, okay, how great are you at teamwork when you're sober? That's probably a pretty good indication of how good you're going to be when you're drunk. 
Um, but yeah, gut feel has been a huge part of it. And fortunately, it's been pretty accurate for the most part. That's good. Right? It's also a nice part. We, we do very non-traditional casting as far as gender and age and anything like that. So yeah. gut feel goes for a lot of the casting as well. Um, in Romeo and Juliet, the cast was almost entirely female, and our one male played the nurse. Mm. <laughs> and he was amazing. And I, he walked into the room, and he's this tall, tall, big guy uh, that would definitely not normally be the nurse, but he had just this wonderful, caring, sweet nature about him that I picked Aww. up on right from the beginning. And he was the most adorable nurse, and the relationship between uh, the nurse and Juliet was just the most endearing and wonderful and heartwarming thing to see. Aww. In fact, his was... Because... When people are drunk, it's not actually always funny. His uh, drunk rehearsal, we have drunk rehearsals too. Cool. Uh, his drunk rehearsal was one of the most raw performances I've ever seen. As he got tipsier, you know, more and more booze in him, the heartbreak that he was feeling through the character for what was happening just became so immediate and so real. I mean, he has little kids at home too, so he was projecting that onto Juliet. And he, his tears were, were very genuine and very... Uh, kind of awe-inspiring to watch in that performance. I think that's something that we, that many people don't take into account is that when people get drunk, it's not always a comedic moment. Right. Like, people get drunk and they feel real things. Mm -hmm. And they, and like, any, any feelings that they have are amplified. Has there... Right. So, I, I guess, yeah. Have there been other moments, like, that, like, I'm, I'm, now I'm thinking of, like, intent... Have y'all done Lear? Not yet. I can't wait for that one. That's probably going to be... Two, maybe three years off. Because I'm looking forward to that one. I'm thinking of a drunk Lear mm -hmm. in the storm. Mm -hmm. And just, I mean, part of me thinks that would be hilarious. Other parts of me are just like, I want to see drunk Lear so badly. Right. Oh my and it God. would depend very much on the night. I mean, especially we're moving to a two-weekend format. We've been doing just one weekend because, mm. you know, as our audiences are growing, at first we only had enough audience for one weekend, right. but now we're starting to sell out enough that we're like, okay, let's expand this a bit. Yeah. Uh, so there is the potential for the same actor getting drunk twice, once each week. We don't want to do more than that Yeah. Uh, for each actor. But so the two performances, especially depending on how the audience reacts or what goes wrong, if everything goes smoothly, you know, that very much can affect that performance for the nights. We have seen, even sometimes within the same show, uh, the guy playing Macbeth was amazing for this, of having moments that were hilariously funny as the drunk took over he he he's the sweetest sweetest guy and he would do you know really mean things as Macbeth and kind of be to the audience like oh I'm so sorry I don't mean it and <laughs> those very very sweet moments like that but then also these really raw emotional moments of the tragedy of it absolutely hitting you uh and especially when you are the drunk actor I've been the drunk drunk actor three times myself two or three times two times I think but the lines hit you very fresh when you're drunk because you're really concentrating on hearing them and on making sure you remember everything and you just don't have that kind of normal filter that you you do as a sober actor. So you really hear the words afresh and it, it suddenly hits you like you're hearing it for the first time. In fact, for the audience that can be the case too. A lot of people are like, wow, I, you know, I, I almost forgot that I knew where this show was going. Yeah. Mm. So those are great moments for us. Has there been any pushback from like the more classical theater community at all or maybe that's just me trying to stir the pot. right but like uh, none that's reached our our direction cool. so far in fact um milwaukee rep was really great to us uh this last time they helped uh they lent us costume for a discounted rate because a lot of their their oh, cool. people their one of their customers was working on our show so they were kind enough because he was working on our show to to give cool. us a little bit of a discount since he was going to be taking care of all the costumes yeah. and stuff like that. So we've, we've had, yeah, a lot of theaters around the area be really supportive, actually. And, and many even come to the audience and, and enjoy themselves. I mean, cool. I think especially because we do have such respect still for the text and for telling the story that right. that's, since that's our imperative and that's more important than being drunk to us, it's not in any way disrespectful mm -hmm. to right. what they're doing. We always tell people, I always tell my actors, safety is first, the story comes second, than the drunk. If you are appearing not drunk enough through the whole show, but we still get a great story, great. If you're so drunk that you can't continue the story, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, is there... Well, I guess you actually just answered the question. I thought of the question as you were answering the question. <laughs> I was just going to add, like, the balance of that is mm -hmm. interesting. Is there more to that? or? It is tricky. I mean, that's part of the reason we have the drunk rehearsal, so we get a really good feel on where everybody's limit is, um, 
picking up on people's signs of being drunk. There are some people that are just really, really sober drunks. I'm actually one of them. I had mm. with, with McDuff, I had a, a giant sword fight with Macbeth at the very end of the show. I was 12 shots in and we did it perfectly. Uh, <laughs> It is crazy. That's one of those things where it's like, I'd be from like a, especially like as an engineer, like it's got to be interesting to kind of like start trying to apply the logical, like statistical mind to it. Of right. Like how do the, why, how do these substances work in these ways? Uh -huh. People in different ways kind of thing. And it does hit you so differently. When I did uh, Claudius for Hamlet, I think I had only seven shots or something like that, but I was done. For the night, but for mm. Macbeth, it was twelve shots, and I was perfectly fine. Right. Uh, so it can it can vary wildly person to person. But we always start people out with less than we think they're going to need. That way, we have the room to to feed them right. more bourbon throughout, rather than oh, it's too late. They're already too drunk. You can't take back the bourbon. Mm -hmm. You can always give them more. Yeah. How do you? What's the like? When you're the drunk and you have to, you're like. I could. I needed a shot. Is you just to ask for one, or is there like a a, a cue, like, it's like a, a high sign? sign? Like yeah, no, it's. I mean, like an ear tug. It, it'll be varying degrees of subtle, depend, especially depending on who the drunk is. Right, like, and, and hey, how far into. Hey, I need more alcohol. <laughs> And the other actor's like, no, no, honey, you don't. <laughs> or it might just, yeah, it could be a, a subtle wave to each other. Remember, all the actors are on stage the whole time, so you're right. able to, oh, to kind cool. of catch each other's eye a little bit. Or you'll see conversations kind of happening, you know, silently in the background of, do they seem too sober to you? Yeah, they do to me. Okay, I'm going to give them a shot in the next. Great. Okay, I'm going to hand down the bourbon. Uh, all this kind of planning going on in the, mm -hmm. the background. Well, what space do y'all use? Do you use the same theater? or? Uh, we've used In Tandem quite a lot, and that's what we're kind of considering our main stage. In Tandem is so is such a good space. Right? They've been And, and Chris and, and Jane have been license. amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, that was an important thing for yeah. us. Uh, our next two shows are going to be what we're considering studio shows, which is also something we're doing new for the first time. And that's going to be at the Arcade Theater in the Underground Collaborative. I don't know if you're familiar with that space. Oh, that's the, uh, that's like... The Grand Avenue Mall space. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's in that basement level. Yeah. And they've got a really nice uh, theater down there, actually. It's a little bit more of a black box feel. It is a set stage, but it has just that, that little bit more of a studio feel. Yeah. It's kind of warehousey. A little bit, yeah. Absolutely. And it's got some nice art on the walls, things like that. Yeah. I think I had an audition there once. It's a cool space. Mm -hmm. It's got a lot of rehearsals, rehearsal rooms down there. That's actually where we normally rehearse, too. So we have a great relationship with Matt Campbell, who runs that. Mm -hmm. Is that like, was that recently, not like recently as in like, recently as in like five years ago, but that is that new or was that found? Uh, I think Matt created that. Okay. Uh, yeah, five, six years ago. Maybe, well, he's in charge of Milwaukee comedy and that's been going on for a long while, but I forget yeah. at what point in the Milwaukee comedy history, the Underground Collaborative happened. He's mm. in charge of both. Yeah, because I mean, Grand Avenue has been there forever. Mm -hmm. And I, I had only heard of this like little feeder hub like under the under you know right it's like this hidden Wisconsin secret. avenue you know um like five years ago that's so cool yeah so we're hoping our audience will follow us down there since it is a new space and it is a little bit uh less obvious of a space obviously that red church for in tandem is a, a big landmark right in town, so that's easy to find but downstairs in the basement of the shops at grand avenue is a little little bit more you have to seek it out mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but at this point we've got an audience enough that's following in us, right. following us enough that we hope they'll they'll well, make the effort. Just point them at Old Navy. There you go. <laughs> Do some shopping first. Come yeah. on down. Grab a grab a V-neck T-shirt and mm -hmm. yeah. watch so, some Shakespeare. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, you're fine. Um, <laughs> so I, the thing that I think is really interesting, I always like talking with folks that are like the administrators of their orgs because I think you get to kind of look at. I mean, because you've obviously been with the with the organization since its inception, mm -hmm. and um, you know, especially once you've kind of like got an audience growth happening, and you're getting to actually see the growth. I'm kind of curious for you, like, where do you see this heading? Like, what are some of your dreams for the organization? Well, it's kind of an interesting thing because basically the only thing we'd really like to add is more weekends if we have right. enough. Uh, time, if we have enough audience to sustain more weekends, we'd mm -hmm. love that because what particularly happens for us is word of mouth is really great. I believe that. Yeah. Because people come for the first time and they're like, I don't know, what's this drunk Shakespeare thing? I'm not mm -hmm. really into Shakespeare. I don't know. I'm just coming for the booze. And then they have such a great time and they come back the next time and they bring their friends. Right. And then those friends bring their friends. So it'd be really great to have a run where that can happen over the course of the same play. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other things we'd really like to do down the road is uh, a, a sober 
run, actually, where it's like you get a chance to see the show as it was intended to be seen, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the drunk, for just that opportunity to to strip away all of what the drunk does and, and see where the rehearsal was and where all the work was. Uh, because we really do try to put on a great show right. outside of the drunk right. and just add that drunk element on top. But other than that, I think we'll always stay a little bit smaller. It just helps to be that kind of intimate space with the audience we do interact quite a lot we break the fourth wall all the time we have actors sitting out in the audience at points or talking directly to audience Mm -hmm. members we'll hand them stuff during the show depending on the show Mm -hmm. things like that so we really wouldn't want to be space wise much bigger than we are we'd love to buy our own broadswords at some point though that would be that's a bucket list (laughs) yeah (laughs) that'd be awesome right have Um, our own little arsenal Um, I when I first moved to Chicago, I um, lived with a um, fight choreographer, mm-hmm. and just like there was an umbrella stand in one of our corners that just had like a bunch of swords. Nice, was, like cool. This is awesome. The other, the other, the other thing that I know that we like talking a lot about on the show, and it's something that I'm, I'm personally always interested in because. Um, you know, I think a lot of people that we, we're both opera singers, like, mm-hmm. um, I think Shakespeare can have this very much too, and it's something we kind of touched on in the beginning is, but, um, it's this buzzword that we like to unpack, which is accessibility. Right. And I, th- I think that's a really interesting thing from the lens of, of your organization, because, um, there, it is such a... Like, on its face, you tell someone, oh, I run a drunk Shakespeare company. I got to imagine that, like, a lot of people are like, oh, that's that's interesting. Just, like, mm-hmm. there. And um, So I'm curious for you, um, what is the importance of, uh, of accessibility? And by that, I mean, uh, like, you know, making sure that it's something that people can latch on to easily and, right. and understand. And, yeah. I mean, that's huge. Uh, the biggest and best compliment that I've gotten time and time again with this company is, oh, I understood that for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that is everything to me. Because when people do, then they're enjoying it for the first time, mm-hmm. too. And they're like, oh, Shakespeare actually is fun and is funny. Um, it's really amazing with the drunk. We'll have, of course, a lot of ad-libbed lines. So you're never quite sure when the actors are just making up their own stuff and when right. it's Shakespeare. But the fun part to me is when people will say, oh, did the actor make up that line? No, no, Shakespeare wrote that mm-hmm. word for word. And it, it lets them kind of see how how accessible, to use your buzzword, right. Shakespeare actually can be. People don't change all that much over the centuries. We might have you know puns that don't work, but right. people are passionate in the same ways and heartbroken in the same ways and petty in the same ways throughout all the centuries. So if you really distill it to that, then it actually becomes just watching people be people. Right. Uh, we really try to concentrate on the character relationships too, and I think that helps quite a bit because if you build up the relationship with the other actors and with the other characters, that that tells the story in and of itself. You care about these people; they're mm-hmm. they're real people, not recite re, you know reciting some glorious Shakespeare poetry with the the skull in the hand. Like you picture, they're they're just people talking and living their lives very messily. And trying their best to clean it up. And if yeah. it's a tragedy, they'll all die. And if it's a comedy, they'll all live. And and there's your Shakespeare. <laughs> and that's the rule. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Right. right. Um, for some reason, what just occurred to me. So I've I've been re-watching Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that show? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking of the sense of people are like their truest selves when they're drunk. Right. Like, like there, there's that adage of like, um, drunk words or sober thoughts mm-hmm. where like, you know, you get what I mean. I don't need to beat it to death. Um, so I don't know why I thought of this, but there's that episode of Parks and Rec where everybody has the flu. Oh, right. And Ann Perkins is like, um, you know, like, I love the flu. It brings everyone down to the same level. <laughs> and so I was thinking like, I wonder what Shakespeare where everyone has the flu would be like. Well, pretty miserable experience for the actors, I'll bet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just wondering, would it be more subdued, or would there be more, like, intensity to it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me that, like, Shakespeare is such an, um, it's, it's both such a unifier and such a, like, there is a stigma of it needing an an education to understand, but it Mm -hmm. also is such a, 
building block culturally. I mean, like, there right. are just so many references to Shakespeare mm-hmm. in culture. I mean, how many phrases come from Hamlet? So there's, like, some statistic on how many words and phrases that we yeah. currently use that come just from Hamlet. It's something ridiculous, like 400 or something. I'm pulling that number out of thin air, but it is something, some very, very high high count. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's such a base for our culture. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that. No, it's totally fine. <laughs> I, it's totally fine. So you know, I like the idea of so, and whenever I don't know the the, the reason I don't know I'm not gonna like I'm, <laughs> as I go back to my I swear we're not drinking during this interview. Yeah. No, it's like eleven thirty in the morning. Um, I just like the um the thought of the, the reason I went to Shakespeare with the flu is that I feel like you know when you want to do something like boilerplate that everyone can kind of like latch on to but do it with a twist Mm -hmm. i feel like the first thing that people latch on to is shakespeare Mm -hmm. but this it's not like mammoth but this and i think it is kind of kind of touching on what you said uh, earlier that the fact that everybody does to some degree know shakespeare it's taught in schools you've heard of romeo and juliet you've heard of hamlet even if you've never actually read them or actually seen them or you think you know what they are, but you don't actually know the story. Everybody has some touch point of Shakespeare. So I think that's part of why it becomes this easy thing to um, to play with, to, to feel like no matter who comes in the audience, we'll have at least some relation already with Shakespeare and we get to to adjust that perception of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and the undercurrent it. of things haven't really changed. Right. No. Uh, but kind of to your point with like the flu, somebody had suggested way back when we were first starting uh, Bard and Bourbon of, well, what about Will and Weed? And oh. <laughs> the problem there is it is very predictable. Everybody's just sort of mellowed out. There's not a lot of variety in how people react to it, where I think the drunk is really fun because, as we mentioned earlier, you don't know. Right. Uh, some people are really, really good at muscle memory and the, the performance is almost exactly the same as they rehearsed it. Some people will forget practically every other line and it, you just have to watch them try to work their way out of that. Some people are angry drunks, funny drunks, sad drunks. You don't know what you're going to get, so that makes it a little bit more exciting for everybody on stage and in the audience when it's these words that you've heard a thousand times mm-hmm. but now you're not actually sure what the next word is going to be because mm, the drunk person saying it it could be anything yeah i bet it would be a good practice for the other actors in in such that like you know, a lot of people will like wait for a cue line or something mm-hmm. like that we're like that cue line might not be coming right <laughs> for what for weed no for for, dr- for drunk for drunk. oh oh okay no, I feel like with weed, the cue line would come, and they would, like, punch it. I don't know. It. It, might, it might drift off into some, like, worldly observation that actually makes no sense or something like that. Who knows? Yeah. The yeah. munchies. When we get the, we have the munchies a lot in, the, in our shows, too. We'll occasionally see actors, like, going backstage and then coming off on with uh, Twizzlers or right. things like that, too. So that right. does happen. Is the audience drunk? Sometimes. Cool. They've been very polite drunks, so if you've been in our audience, thank you. You guys are great. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the audience is certainly welcome and, and frankly encouraged to visit the bar, too. So they'll, they'll sometimes take shots with us or, or we'll nice. toast birthdays or, mm-hmm. oh, cool. or things like that. But cool. Yeah, so it's a whole, whole communal experience. What brought you to Milwaukee? Uh, well, I've actually been in Wisconsin since I was 14, so that oh, was part got of it. it. Right. Uh, but I live up in Sheboygan still. I, I do the commute every day, which is... What? Yep, yep, that's super fun. Uh, but my also, job is... Also, how fun to say that, Sheboygan. Sheboygan, Sheboygan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've gotten... I mean, the car time is kind of just my downtime to, to decompress, so it's not it's not too bad. It's an easy drive. At least mm-hmm. you don't have much of the traffic that you do from Chicago to Milwaukee, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, we usually do that drive at, like, 10 p.m. Mm, that helps. It's yeah. a fun drive at 10 yeah. p.m. <laughs> <laughs> Racine at a... There's that curve once you hit Oak, Oak Creek that, like, all of a sudden there's just, like, forest around you and no streetlights. And when you hit that curve, you're like, oh, I'm just going to hit a deer right now. I just feel it. I know it. <laughs> there's just going to... Dear time. Cool. Well, what a, what a closing. Um, so the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes that's very obvious. Like if they right. run uh, a company of this this bit, I do this bit at the end of we have we've had like 130 episodes, and I always do this bit, and I never like point it out so obviously on its face like I do now, but I'm starting to because I'm like starting to get to the point now where I'm like 
making it less of a joke and me just reiterating the thing that you do, which mm. is the Shakespeare Company. So sometimes it can be that. Other times it can be when you're, um, if you uh, if you want to shout out someone that's doing dope work, uh, Any self care things? things, books, TV shows, anything like that. Anything you're consuming, yeah. Trying to think. Well, I'll start with the obvious because we have Merry Wives of Windsor coming up. Mm-hmm. That's going to be over Thanksgiving weekend. So we open on Black Friday. So if you're sick of your family and you've done your Black Friday shopping, come on down to um, Barton Bourbon. We're going to be at the Underground Collaborative Space for that one. We also do have a Pay What You Can preview night the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. We are doing two weekends for that show. Uh, How much yeah. are tickets? Uh, tickets are $18 for general admission, 15 for uh, senior student military. Cool. Mm. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for jumping jumping on this uh, sound equipment test drive. Yeah. I worked. It worked out. Yeah. That's awesome. It did. Mm-hmm. seemed to be smooth sailing once we got it going. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are a lot of ways you can do that. You can head over to scottbmag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles there. I'm going to retool the homepage pretty soon, but our articles tab itself is pretty current. So you can just head there. You can check out our most recent articles. Uh, otherwise, you can also find our podcast episodes there and links to our Scoppy Studios and sessions on our YouTube page there as well. Um, otherwise, you can find us in all the social media places, Facebook or under Scoppy Magazine, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, Google Play, and iTunes Podcasts. We are under Scoppy Mag. We spell it S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. If you're in a position to give, you can head to our website, scopymag.com, head to our About section. Um, There are two ways that you can give. If you give on a one-time basis, you will have our eternal gratitude. If you choose to give on a monthly level, a couple things will happen. Uh, Our next two donors at any level are going to get a bag of half-wit coffee. Um, At $10 a month, you get one session a month of studio photography with Daniel in our recording space. Um, And at $25 a month, uh, you have the opportunity to have advertising space on our website, which ends up being cheaper than Facebook advertising. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Plus, supporting independent media. So, give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.